So this week there has been one common theme in the news. Powerful people being held to account. It began with Novak Djokovic, the number one tennis player in the world. He's won a record nine Australian Open titles and is the defending champion. If he wins one more Grand Slam event, he will be the most decorated tennis player in history. He is a champion. He is rich. He is a media celebrity. Many doors open before him. He has power. Yet he is now in detention, alongside many other faceless immigrants about to be deported. Why? Because seemingly he has not followed the immigration rules of Australia and may also have broken some other rules in Serbia before he left. This news story has been a right saga and it's fair to say that no one has come out of it very well. But what is interesting about it is the spotlight it shines on where the power really lies today. Is it with champion athletes and sporting idols? Is it with politicians and the law courts? Or is it with the millions of ordinary people who voice their complaints on social media? Djokovic has discovered that there are much greater powers in the world than his own. He has been well and truly held to account. Fast forward a few days and we come to a near identical story in the UK. Where does the power lie here, at home? Well, many people would answer that by pointing to the Prime Minister and the team that work at Number 10 Downing Street. Here lies the bedrock of political power in our country. Every single one of us in this room have had our lives turned upside down by rules that have come out of that location in the last two years. Yet now, Boris Johnson is in serious trouble. People in number 10 are losing their jobs. A groveling apology has had to be issued to the Queen. Why? Because they broke the rules. They broke their own rules by holding parties in the back garden. Again, I don't want to dwell on the details, but what I find fascinating is the insight it gives us on where the power lies in our country. Is it with the politicians and the prime minister? Is it with the media outlets that expose hard truths and refuse to let go? Or is it with the millions of ordinary people up and down the land who suffered greatly over the last two years and are furious at the hypocrisy that has been uncovered. Like Djokovic, Boris Johnson and his team have discovered that there are much greater powers in this world than their own. They have been well and truly held to account. And finally, as this last week came to a close, there was one more story that grabbed the headlines, and again, it was nearly identical to those that preceded it. Again, it was about power and someone in a position of authority being held to account. Prince Andrew is now Andrew. 
The Duke of York is now just a bloke from Windsor. He's done everything he can to distance himself from these allegations made against him. He's used all the power at his disposal. His media connections, his high-flying lawyers, his family privilege, but they've not gone away. And now he must face a court case as an ordinary citizen. Now, no one really knows the full truth of what happened. We'll have to wait for the court's judgment. But again, this is a story about where the power really lies. Is it with the members of the world's most powerful royal family? Is it with the rule of law, even courts based in another country? Or is it with the outcry of many abused women down through the years who together are now calling their perpetrators to account? Like Djokovic, like Boris Johnson, Andrew has discovered there are much greater powers in this world than his own. He has, and he will be, truly held to account. The major theme in our passage today is discovering where the power really lies in our world today. In the first century, the city of Ephesus was renowned throughout the region for being a center of power. First of all, it was the center of great social power. Ephesus was situated on a trade route. It had a harbor and a very important river for ships to come in. And consequently, it soon built up to be the most famous, the most popular city in Asia. It is full of important traders and rich merchants. Secondly, Ephesus was a centre of great political power. The Romans used Ephesus as the gateway to the eastern regions of their empire. It was so important to them, they turned it into a bit of a jewel in the crown. There were impressive monuments, there were grand bathhouses, there were gymnasiums, there were arenas. It was a place where Roman rule was celebrated and enhanced. Third, Ephesus was known as a centre of great religious power. There were many cults and religions in the place, reflecting the many Roman gods and the other Eastern influences. But above them all sat the great temple of Artemis. That building was known as one of the seven wonders of the ancient world. It was attended by a whole raft of priestess prostitutes and it drew thousands of worshippers each year. And finally, Ephesus was the centre of magic power. We know from Paul's visit there in Acts 19 that it was a city of spells. Harry Potter had nothing on this. This was serious. In the shops, in the markets, you could obtain spells to create wealth and to restore your health. You could issue curses on your enemies and order the downfall of your neighbours. Ephesus was a city steeped in the occult, a very dark place indeed. 
So be it social or political, religious or magical, Ephesus was known as a city of power. In the terms of the New Testament, it was a place dominated by the principalities and powers of the day. Ephesus was full of rulers and authorities, from the local magistrates right up to internationally recognised gods and goddesses. In light of all this then, what Paul writes at the heart of our passage today is very, very important. None of these worldly powers are any match at all for the power of God. Where does the true power lie in Ephesus? Where does the true power lie in this world? Well, it's not in the market. It's not in the law court. It's not in the temple. It's not in the wizard's lair. It's in the hands of God. And what Paul wants the Ephesians to really get their heads around is that one day that power of God is going to hold all other earthly powers to account. Now that we know a bit of that context, listen again as Paul describes God's power in verses 19 to 22. God's power is the same as the mighty strength he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at the right hand in the heavenly realms. Far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, above every other name that is invoked, not only in the present age, but the one to come. God placed all things, all things, under his feet and appointed him to be head over everything. How does Paul know that God's power is so much greater than the powers on display in Ephesus? Simple. God was able to raise Jesus from the dead. No merchant trader has ever done that. No great Roman emperor has ever done that. No pagan goddess, no witch or wizard, no power on earth has ever being able to take a person who was three days dead and raise them to life once more. In fact, the true, the full resurrection of a human being has only been done once in all of history. And it could only ever have been done by one person, the creator of heaven and earth. God created all things in the first place and he has the power to recreate life after death. And Paul goes on, not only did God raise Christ back to life, but he then raised him further to glory and enthroned him in the heavens. The Lord Jesus is now sovereign and reigning over all things. He alone has true power and dominion. So yes, he reigns over Caesar, and he reigns over Rome, and he reigns over all other oppressive governments through this world that have followed them. He reigns over evil forces. He reigns over a cult. 
He reigns over all those things that we fear. He reigns to such an extent that all other gods are proved to be utterly false. We should not waste our time searching them out. Jesus Christ is King of kings and Lord of lords. All earthly powers are subject to him. All earthly powers are and will be held to account by him. They are under his feet. And if when judged these earthly powers are found wanting, they will be trampled out of existence by him. And this has been proved over and over again throughout history. The Roman Empire is no longer with us. The Temple of Artemis has been razed to the ground. That magical, prosperous city of Ephesus is now just a clump of ruins that you can visit on a modern-day tourist trail. No power should mess with the Lord Jesus Christ, because if they do, they will find that he is head over everything, and they will soon be put in their rightful place. As Djokovic, Boris and Andrew discovered this week, there is a power in this world far greater than our own. And it belongs to God. We are to revere it and we are to be humbled by it. But the wonderful thing about Paul's letter to the Ephesians is that Paul does not write all of this just as a threat. Rather, he is trying to encourage. He's trying to encourage the young believers in that troubled city to keep going in their faith. All of what we've thought about so far comes in the context of a prayer. Last week, we saw Paul begin this letter with a great burst of praise. He reveled in laying out the great plan of God for his creation. The great plan that we're to take confidence in. Do you remember the key lessons from last week? That you and I and all other believers were chosen before the creation of the world. God wanted us so much. He wanted to lavish his affection upon us. He chose you and I and all other believers were redeemed by Jesus and his shedding of blood on the cross. Through faith in him, all our sins are forgiven. You and I and all other believers are destined to glory in the new heavens and the new earth that will begin when Christ returns. And the presence of the Holy Spirit in our lives today is the guarantee that nothing can stop that glorious eternity from coming to be. Last week in that passage, we caught a glimpse of God's incredible purposes for creation and for our lives. And it was hugely encouraging. Well, in our reading this week, Paul has immediately followed that grand vision with a prayer. He wants the readers to know the implications of God's plan in their lives. He wants our hearts to be full of God's hope and love and peace. 
He wants us to have full assurance for the future, no matter what trials come our way in the present. And Paul prays that the Ephesians 2,000 years ago, and we here on Islay today, may know the hope to which God has called us and the inheritance that awaits us. That's what he talked about last week. But here is where all that we've thought about today connects together. Because Paul also prays something else. Listen. I pray that the eyes of your heart might be enlightened in order that you may know his incomparably great power for us who believe. That power is the same as the mighty strength he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead, and so on. Paul wants us to know that the same God who is ruling with power over all the world is also ruling over our lives. At the same time as he's holding all of those earthly powers to account, God is using his power to provide for us, to protect us, to pilot us and the church through to the day when Jesus returns. And here is the really incredible thing. God does that by making his power available to us. Yes, to you and to I, right here today. Paul's prayer is that as we wait for God's plans to come to be, that us, we believers, will know the great power of God in our daily lives. That same power that created the world, that same power that rose Jesus from the dead, that same power that one day will bring about the new heavens and the new earth can be known personally by us today. And this happens through the gift of the Holy Spirit. Paul is praying that we, the readers, may know the gift of the Spirit in our lives and the power that the Spirit brings to us. Paul finishes his prayer in verses 22 and 23 by stating that the church is the body of Christ on earth. He gives us his power so that we can go about doing some of the things that he did while he was on earth. We are giving his power to communicate the great things of what he has done and who he is. So I hope we now understand what this prayer is really all about. The people in Ephesus were not to fear the powers of their day, be they Romans or gods or magic. The God of resurrection is far more powerful than them and will hold them to account. Paul prays that instead of living in fear, they will know the plan of God and they will know the power of God working in their lives. As we read this today, we're not to fear earthly dictators or earthly idols or virus strains. God is more powerful than them all. 
It cannot stop his plans coming to be. We're not to live in fear anymore, but we're to live each day in the power of the Holy Spirit. Now, despite this being incredibly good news, I'm sure there are one or two of us sitting here with a few questions. I don't know about you, but I don't always feel that powerful. And as I look at the news on the television, I don't always see the power of Jesus doing much in the world. If we're really honest, as ordinary human beings, we often struggle to recognize the power of God at work. Paul knows that. That's precisely why he prays this prayer. He's asking God to open our eyes to the power that is really available to us. The power of Jesus given to us through the Holy Spirit doesn't mean that we're all going to become like conjurers that perform spectacular tricks all over the place. The power of Jesus is given to us to help us on a day-to-day basis. The power of God helps us to keep praying when life is tough. The power of God helps us to hold on to faith by our fingernails when we are struggling and on the verge of giving up. The power of God helps us to put sins to death in our lives. Many of those are secret and hidden from other believers. The power of God helps us to serve like Jesus did. Those small daily acts of kindness and generosity and care, particularly when we ourselves are tired, are just as empowered by the Spirit as the spectacular miracles we sometimes see. Paul is praying that God will open our eyes to the fact that when we feel our strength is running out, God's strength steps in. There is so much potential in the Holy Spirit. We are to make more space for the Spirit in our lives and seek to live trusting in Him rather than our own strength. So to conclude, today's message has all been about power. The true power in this world lies in the hands of God. Jesus reigns over all and one day will hold all other powers to account. Nothing will stop God's purposes coming to be. But as we live waiting for that day, as we live often feeling weak and vulnerable, we are to keep asking God for his spirit and walking step by step in the power that God gives us. Our prayer is the same as Paul's. May we know the power of the Spirit in our lives today and use it to make a real difference for God here on Isla.